This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm doing well. It was a long, long year, but we finally made it through January. <laughs> uh, that's true. We're uh, recording this on uh, uh, February 1st, um, uh, soon to, like on the evening of February 1st, soon to be Groundhog Day. So like I uh, there's a possibility that I'm going to uh, wake up to a Sunny and Cher song um uh, for about a million times um i hope not um but in the meantime let's talk some hoops uh you've covered some of the most uh important games uh like sort of scary games for this season for the ducks but you know i think in the third segment of this podcast we're going to talk about like what does this season mean for the Ducks? Like, uh, wh- what do we expect going forward in the final year of the Pac-12? Um, yeah. I, I think this is sort of a pivotal season in that it's, uh, you know, they're introducing a bunch of, like, freshman players who I think that Oregon's going to see for a while in, like, Jackson Selstat and Kwame Evans and a couple of guys who I think are going to be pillars for a while. And they're sort of transitioning away from guys like Will Richardson, who were with the team for a long time, and it's sort of like end of an era um, mm-hmm. and beginning of a new era. So I sort of feel like this is a transition year for Oregon. And so like, I want to spend the third segment, like talking about that, uh, you know, that factor, but before we get there, you know, Oregon probably played its two most difficult games of the year and you covered both of them. Um, one of them was their annual loss to Colorado in Boulder. Yeah. As we alluded to in our last podcast, how that was pretty much a a done deal. You know, uh, look, you know, Tad Boyle's Colorado team always punches above its weight class. Uh, They play really well in Colorado, you know, in Boulder. It's not like it's not the craziest thing to lose, you know, to Colorado at Colorado, like lots of teams do. Um. But just like it's comical, like I mean, what's Dan Altman's won one game there, like ever? Yeah, he has he has one win there in his entire career at Oregon, which is just given his record and and what he's accomplished at Oregon is absolutely astounding. Yeah, and at a certain point, it's just you 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 chalk it up to like a mental thing. I'm assuming where it's just kind of like maybe you've already beaten yourself before you even go into that building. But uh, <laughs> it held true yet again this year. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how to explain it. I, I mean, like, there, I mean, there's a couple of statistical anomalies, you know, like, you know, Colorado shoots 42% from the three point line, you know, but, the, you know, the, they're, they're eight for 19 from the three point line, which effectively means that they, they made like, like one or two more three pointers than than nominal like that doesn't explain yeah. a 16 point win you know um you know they 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 go to the charity stripe 21 times and and, and shoot 18 for 21 you know o- Oregon goes to the charity stripe you know 17 times like I don't know. That's pretty much the same. Like there was a lot of people complaining about how like you know, Colorado's getting a lot of foul calls and Oregon's not. You know, they ultimately went to the charity stripe about the same amount of times. You know, yeah. o- o- Oregon wasn't hitting their free throws as well as Colorado was, you know, that but yeah. that's on but that's on Oregon, you know, like that's, that's, that's not on the refs or anything like that. 
Right. You know, like Oregon missed seven free throws. You know, Colorado only missed, you know, three. Like, you know, that, that that's probably not on the altitude. That's probably not on Boulder Magic. That's not on the referees. That's make your damn free throws, you know? Yeah, which which has been an issue for Oregon in, in recent seasons and continues to be somewhat yeah. of an issue. Um, not, not nearly as much as it was the past couple seasons, though. I mean, to me, honestly, the 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 I, I, I mean, to me, really, you know, the issue is that like Oregon's not really a full team, you know, not not quite yet. Like, no. you know, they they got Folly Dante back. I I don't really at, at this point, you know, I. At this point, when they play Colorado, I didn't really think he was at 100%. I didn't oh, really no. think. No, he's still, I didn't really he's still think getting that, his conditioning back, I think, yeah. when, they were, when they were up in the mountain schools. And you could you could see yeah. it with the way he played. I, I didn't really think that Nate Biddle uh, was at 100%, you know, you know, pretty clearly. You know, he, he, he barely played any minutes, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I think you here's the other thing and i'm really interested in your opinion on this one like i sort of feel like a lot of oregon's young players had sort of hit a wall you know uh you know jackson shellstat you know three for eight right uh, yeah. uh evans one for three um it, you know mookie cook you know who was in and out right you know d- didn't hit a bucket right yeah um you know they were they're pretty much relying on on Cousinard and uh and, and Dante and Jadron Tracy for all of their production yeah uh, and uh you know th- this gets a little better a little later but basically like if you want to beat Oregon you know what Colorado and what Arizona f- sort of found is that like you just sort of like need to squeeze down Oregon's young players, like mm-hmm. you know, recognize that like Dante and Cousinard, you know, they're sort of you know the regular producers are going to regularly produce, but you can squeeze down their freshmen. Oh yeah, and, and, and like that's that's enough for you to win. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of times, even when I'm watching them, you know, particularly when I'm watching the play of Evans and Shellstad. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll see some, you know, a miscommunication between them or, you know, a, a bad shot put up or, you know, a turnover or something like that. And you hate to be just, you know, like, so, you know, cliche, but you chalk it up to, it's like, yeah, freshman mistake. Yeah. Um, you definitely are seeing some growing pains. I think those two have been playing very, very well, all things considered as true freshmen. They're, uh, definitely contributing, particularly Shellstad. Um, with Mookie Cook, unfortunately, it's just it's just really a matter of health. He's just missed sure. so, much, so much time, and you know, and then and then apparently, like you know, when he gets back on the floor, and I kind of mentioned this before, he gets on the floor with this team that has already kind of like developed a, a certain groove without him, and then it's like, how does how does he plug in that way? Well, if it's if it's somebody like Dante, if it's somebody that's, you know, been in the mix before, you know how he plugs in because you've already played with him before. Uh, he's already been, you know, w- with the team like the last couple seasons on the floor. But when it comes to somebody like Cook, then you're looking at a situation where it's like this is someone brand new. This is someone who's never actually, you know, s- stepped on the floor for Oregon. How does he fit in? How does he, you know, like work his way into this lineup? And it's 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 interesting because like throughout Dana Altman's career at Oregon, you've seen uh, you've seen a lot of times that the uh, the, the the small forward position, uh, a lot of times he likes to kind of like rotate that into a stretch four. Yeah, um, you, you 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 saw it a lot with Troy Brown Jr. You saw it with Lewis King. You know, obviously, you know, when when Boucher was around, uh, since he was a threat from the outside, he would work him in as a stretch four also. Um, so I think that like that might be kind of a little bit of a uh, an adjustment that Cook has to make is that Altman really likes likes to utilize kind of like a stretch four position rather than like a true small forward position. 
Um, so in that sense, he's going to, you know, he's going to have to definitely work on his outside game, uh, but also kind of like be somebody who's, who's big enough and, and can take on that role of maybe having to kind of like bump with other power forwards. But I mean, the, the, the difficulty against Colorado, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like. I feel like if Oregon were like closer to 100%, and what I mean by that is that, you know, all of their players are fully healthy and that their freshmen are, I don't know, back in the zone. I'm not really sure what has been going on with the freshmen. And what we're sort of like dancing around is that we're recording this right after watching Oregon just like wreck USC. Um, and like, and, and the cool thing about watching Oregon wreck USC tonight was that it really felt like Jackson Shellstat and Kwame Evans played really good games. And like, we had been, we've been sort of complaining over the last two weeks against the Arizona schools and against the mountain schools. Like it felt like those kids had hit a wall Mm -hmm. and, and I want to talk about that wall um with you uh, in in reviewing the games against Colorado and against Arizona just like you know earlier in the week I talked about the wall um that those guys had seemed to hit a, uh, with bad water uh in their games against Utah and against Arizona State because even as they you know hammered Arizona State you know, and played a very close game against Utah in which maybe if the officiating was a little uh, more even, they probably would have beat Utah too. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear that you agree with my opinion. Well, yeah, there was some shotting calls yeah. for sure. I mean, uh, like, we're, we're, I mean, even if you don't agree with that and, and think that the, the officiating was fine, it was certainly lopsided. You know, Utah went to the charity stripe literally twice as often as Oregon did yeah in a game so, that was decided by three points you know but statistically like statistically it shows that but it like was. it what what was you know also what also showed in both of those games as showed in the other you know the counterparts of the mountain and Arizona school swings at, you know that you covered Colorado and and uh, the University of Arizona is that like the the freshmen were phantoms? You know, you, yeah. you weren't getting anything out of Shellstat. You weren't getting anything out of Evans and Rigsby, who's not a freshman, but who, because of the sort of injury situation, is a bench player who's been sort of pressed into being a uh, like a starter or a quasi starter. And so I've been sort of like, I know this is going to maybe sound a little nutty, but like I've been thinking of him as a freshman because he's a, it is his first year as a starter. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I've been thinking of him as a first year. Does that like, does that make sense? Like, uh, you know, for me. Oh yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you see people red shirting and stuff like that, you know, they may, they may not technically be a freshman on paper, yeah. but as far as like, you know, on court experience in game experience, you know, what they've you know developed from that sense, they are essentially a freshman as in like, so, a, yeah, a new, yeah. So I've been thinking of those three guys as the trio of freshman producers and for like the going into the 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 mountain school Arizona school swings that those that that trio Shellstat Evans and Rigsby as like the young guns mm-hmm. who've been doing really well and really been carrying the team and then all of a sudden for these four games you, you know, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, they went really quiet. The young guns went really quiet. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it was really, and so with, with that reality being the case, you know, they definitely, with the young guns being quiet, and then also Dante and his conditioning not being up to snuff to play at altitude. Mm-hmm. 
in Boulder, and so he's only producing seven points for you. Yeah. Like that's not well, the uh, that's not the Nefale Dante that Oregon's used to having. Yeah, like you know, Boulder curse or not, you if your young guns aren't producing and Dante isn't producing, like forget it, man. You know oh, yeah. you're. Like that's it. That's the you know, and if you you look at the rest of the statistical production, like it's basically nominal, right? It's basically nominal for Oregon, right? It's forty six point four percent from the floor. It's thirty six point four percent from the three point line. If you look at Colorado's production, it's fifty point eight percent from the floor, forty two point one percent, like you know, from from three point. Like you know, they're shooting a little better from free throw line, but like it's not like there's a huge disparity in free throws attempted. Like it doesn't. Nothing explains a sixteen point disparity. Here's what dis- explains the 16 point disparity it's that uh 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 colorado has 40 points in the paint and oregon has 28 points in the paint yeah <clears throat> which is which, because I mean, like which... colorado has an interior presence that oregon lacks mm-hmm. at, at that point in the in, you know, yeah, was, because oregon oregon has that interior presence when they have a healthy dante and a healthy biddle uh, but, yeah, or a hell, or a, a functional uh, Evans. Yeah, right. Because Evans isn't really a big, but he's a he's a tall. He's guy. T- yeah, he's yeah. tall. He can he can play like a big if he has yeah. to. He's, he's still getting if, used to that as a freshman. But if you don't have Biddle and you don't have a a, a a fully functional Dante and you don't have a fully functional Evans and you're playing at altitude against a team that does have an interior presence, like that's how you have a 12-point differential in points in the paint. Yeah. Well, that, that makes most of the difference too because if, yep. you, if you go there back... Is. Look, I mean, there it is. If you look at the game... Uh, in essence, it wasn't really, it wasn't anything like a blowout the entire time. It wasn't like Colorado was ahead the entire time. Colorado came out with a head of steam. Uh, you know, they jumped on them early, but then Oregon was able to kind of get back in. They were able to like retake the lead and everything. And then, you know, it was, it was closer going into halftime, but then, you know, Colorado was able to kind of like stretch it a little bit before halftime. Uh, but then in the, in the start of the second half, you saw Oregon again, you know, get close, but then, the final push was was kind of what put Colorado over the top. Right. So it it really just like I said, it just came down to which team was making plays, and Colorado yeah. was making those plays in the paint, and um, right. that's that's where the difference was. So it wasn't it, really like they just wiped the floor with Oregon or something. Yeah. It was just like as as the game continued to progress and as it was close, Colorado had a a formula for what was going to work pound the ball inside you know make make Oregon pay in the paint and you know with with Dante being subpar that's exactly what they were able to do and and then the other like the other element of that like you know just to add on to to what you're saying the other element of that is is rebounds right like Oregon has 25 rebounds in the game Colorado has 37 yeah. You know, a, a 12 rebound differential again, that's interior presence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, you, it's it's the same thing that you're saying, just just you know, that that's second chance points, that's right, that you know, that that's you know, creating additional possessions, you know, or or, mm-hmm. or you know, ending opponent possessions, right? Yeah. So, uh, Take, taking away additional possessions from Oregon right. and creating additional possessions themselves. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and then the rest of it. I mean, you just review the, you know, the box score. You know, you do get all, you know, like Cody Williams goes ten for thirteen. Okay, that's a crazy box score. On the other hand, you know, Tristan De Silva goes four for thirteen, which is a crazy box score the other way. Like it, you know, like like I saw a lot of people going nuts about Cody Williams, and I was just like, it all just balances out with you know De Silva's like terrible box score. Like if you if you break down the stats like Colorado pretty much played a nominal game and that the or, or like what's normal for them at home you know what what was different was Oregon just didn't have any sort of interior presence because like Dante wasn't up for playing at altitude yet and the, you know their young guns just weren't 
were sort of like non-functional uh and and sort of that's it um and then i don't know dean ullman doesn't know how to coach in boulder i don't know what his deal is uh (laughs) all right do you do you want to say anything more about this game not much. I mean, other than just like I said, uh, this one tends to be kind of a throwaway game just because of Altman and Oregon's history yeah, I don't in Colorado. Know. So you it's just kind the, of it's it the last and, one, right? Like, yeah, well, that's, that's what I was kind of like alluding to in the last podcast. So I was like, well, just be thankful because at least this is the last time we'll have to go there on an annual basis. So I, I mean, Altman said in some like interviews, like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to schedule, you know, more of the series. And I'm like, are you fucking nuts? Like, <laughs> please don't just just, just spare like, us all from this. Anyone it's like anyone... Superman saying, like, I would definitely like to to encounter more kryptonite. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now just stay away from Colorado, chalk it up to the boulder curse striking again and try and move on. Yeah. Uh all right, let's take a break. Uh we come back, we'll talk about the Arizona game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, all right. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that this was a winnable game? Um, no, absolutely not. Um, I, I think most people expected an Oregon win, actually, just given the history. I mean, Las Vegas didn't. Uh, it was a yeah. Four and a half point. I mean, it, it's a winnable game if if your if your defense is is playing better. But I mean, Altman himself has said it. That like when they're when they're you know at their best is when they're holding opponents into the in, in the sixties, uh, and you see like a pretty you know pretty solid record when Oregon opponents get uh, you know below seventy points. Uh, that's that's when you're kind of like dictating the tempo. That's when you're kind of like setting that defensive tone and everything. Uh, they really just were not able to do that against Arizona from the get go. Um, Arizona was just in attack mode. And you can kind of maybe chalk it up a little bit to just, uh, you know, every now and then sometimes you'll, you'll see a team that's a little more pissed off, be the, be the more motivated one. Oregon was riding, riding pretty high from that, you know, sweet win over Arizona state, because that's, that's about as complete of a game as they'd played all year. And just the way that they came storming back and just completely overwhelmed them had them looking like, you know, I mean, like the, the, the top dog in the, in the Pac-12 for sure. And then meanwhile, Arizona loses like a totally embarrassing game in Corvallis, which yeah. I mean, Cor- you know, Gil Coliseum isn't the easiest place in the world to play, but still Oregon State's been awful this year. Yeah. And there's just really no reason that it, that Arizona shouldn't have, should have even been in a last second buzzer beating situation. Um, so I think, you have that, um, and then you have, uh, like I said, like the, just kind of like the recent history between the two teams. Um, as much as Oregon would lose in Boulder, it seems like Arizona's had the same kind of luck in Eugene in, in past seasons. Uh, it really, Matthew Knight has been kind of a house of horrors for them. Um, and I think I think that, you know, part of it was that, uh, you know, that that helped fire them up. You really saw uh, Caleb Love, who, who went, you know, went off in this game, I think yeah. the thing that was firing him up most was the student section. He was screaming and yelling and, you know, <laughs> with the students the entire game. Well, and so, it, like, yeah. And also you, you weren't allowed to breathe on him or the rest would call. Him yeah. Was, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, of course it's a winnable game, uh, but you can't, you can't allow an opponent to, you know, compile almost 90 points on your home court. It just comes down to defense. I don't think Oregon's offense played bad at all. I didn't really see anything where I was like, no. oh, man, their offense is so stuck in neutral. They're just not moving. It's just, no, Arizona's offense was just playing at a very high octane level. Well, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, they, they shot 52.6 from 
beyond the arc. I mean, that's nuts. I mean, they were 10 for 19 from from three point land. Like, give me, I mean, give me a break, dude. Yeah. Like, and, you know, like, Oregon is not a fantastic defensive team. They're a pretty good defensive team, but more importantly, they're a pretty good defensive team without fouling. Yeah. And, and Arizona got, you know, 27 free throw attempts in this game in a game that Oregon played at home, which is unusual. Yeah. And was, I just sort of want to leave it at that. Like it was, it was a strange sort of like Mikhail officiating North, like, yeah. um, but like, I, I do think that your point is apt about like, you know, it's sort of Arizona scored more points than they should have, by by which I mean, like, then statistically, like, like if you if you break out the statistical sort of modeling for both of these teams, Arizona scored about about nine more points than they should have in this game, which is like basically the margin of victory. The margin of victory. Um, you know, like, you know, it, it, you know, go talk to any Arizona fan, the two guys that they hate most, you know, uh, for, for Tommy Lloyd playing are, are, you know, Kylan Boswell and Umar Balo, you know, mm-hmm. those guys combined for 24 points in this game. Like those guys usually combine for like two points, you yeah. know, Oregon let them combine for 24, you know, like that's, you know, like forget Caleb Love, you know, that's the crazy thing, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they were not really able to effectively control guys that terrible defenses were effectively controlling or maybe to look at it in a little different way. It was like Arizona was storing everything up for this game. Like, that's the other thing. If you talk to Arizona fans, they're just like Arizona fans believe that the Arizona Wildcats are a super frustrating team to watch because it's like against good teams, they really play up to them. And against bad teams, they like sleepwalk and get beat. Yes. So in a sort of perverse way, I guess Oregon should take that as a compliment, you know, like they. Yeah, well, then, no, they they get up for playing Oregon big time. Um, yeah. Oregon and Arizona in basketball over the past decade has been actually a hell, oh, yeah. a hell, of, a hell of a rivalry. The premier game. It was so funny watching UCLA fans, you know, when Arizona beat UCLA and they're like, oh, yeah, it's hard to beat a team that, you know, treats the game as a Super Bowl. And you're like. Arizona UCLA has not been the Super Bowl of the Pac-12 for like five years, guys. You know, no. like this game has been the Super Bowl. Oregon, Oregon, Arizona has been big ticket draw for the better yeah. better part of the past decade. It's just like, yeah, UCLA fans, you y'all y'all need to sit down. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you had you had your you had your phone a couple years ago. Uh, it's time to. Um, time to let it but go. But yeah, no, like yeah. you know, but again, like it's it's you know you want to you want to find out where those nine points came from it's from the guys that arizona fans hate which is boswell and balo yeah you know who you like i said usually combine for like two points and oregon let them have 24 like that's bonkers um and and yeah i think you're right like i I think it really is better sort of oregon's defense less so than oregon's offense oregon's offense was pretty much nominal although sort of as we've been talking about like you know you know jackson shellstead two for seven yeah you know nate biddles you know wasn't really producing Brent rigsby you know came through for zero points in 15 minutes and you know, Barth or, or, or you know, uh, uh, Kwame Evans, you know, t- two for five. A- and then, like, y- the other thing is that there's this weird thing where Jadrian Tracy and Cario Quindo like trade off. So, like, in one game, you know, t- Tracy will be in double digits and a Quindo will totally disappear. And the other game, it'll be vice versa. So, this yeah. was one of the vice versa games where, where Tracy puts up nothing, but Oquendo puts up 13. It's like, hey, hey, could we play a game in which 
you know, both of you guys are in double digits. You know, like, I think, is, yeah, I think that's going to be a key moving forward is the consistency of those two, uh, especially now that you have Bartholomew out. I mean, uh, well, right. And we've been talking for, for, for that long second. time and we finally gotten to it. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like a fourth season ending injury or seemingly season ending injury on this team? Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean it's it's it really I mean, it, it 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 defies explanation at this point. You could I mean you could literally sit there and be like, oh, is there something up with Oregon's strength and conditioning? Is there something up with the way they train? Is there something up with the way they practice? I I, I, I mean know, strength and conditioning doesn't make people's bones. That's what that's what I said. I mean, during then, a game, you know, and then you like, you see something like this and you're just like Okay, no, that has nothing to do with any of that. This is it's just, just like, like this is the most like just ridiculous injury luck I've ever seen. The fact that Oregon is number two in the conference with this kind of injury luck is like why Dana Altman is a, a Hall of Fame coach. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And so it's just, I mean, like I, I agree that the play of those two is going to be pivotal because like when when one of them steps up you you see how like that kind of like bolsters that second unit and you know for the past couple games especially against Arizona State it had been Bartholomew that was that was bolstering yeah. that second unit you know what i mean and then like you know with his injury he's likely done for the for the rest of this season um and then you you look at that second unit and and you look at, like I said, the, the play of Rigsby too. And it, and it just is kind of like, you've seen a couple big games out of Rigsby and then, and then you've just seen him completely disappear. Yeah. And it's just, so it's, 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 it has to be that second unit, at least from what I've seen, the starters on the floor, at least when healthy are going to be relatively consistent. I, I haven't seen like a, a ton of inconsistency from the starters, but I have seen like a lot of inconsistency from that second unit, which when that second unit is playing well, that's what really like gives Oregon that edge as like a top team in the conference with that second unit playing well, they are a, a conference title contender and a legit NCAA tournament team when that, well, with that second unit not playing well, they're very susceptible and they're, and they're very, you know what I mean? Just kind of like on the bubble. Well, I just wanted to recap like, okay. I, I agree with you with your theory that Oregon needed to play better defense in order. And that the, you know, the, the big anomaly in this game is that Arizona had a couple of players scoring way more points than they normally do. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, that, you know, that being the outlier means that Oregon needed to kick up their defensive performance in order to win this game. That said, uh, the, you know, sort of the, the through line with this game and the other three games in the mountain Arizona swing that we've been talking about mm-hmm. has been, you know, the, the sort of disappearance in the scoring of the young guns. And so before we go to the third segment, I wanted to recapitulate, you know, for this game, Jackson Shellstat six points on two for seven shooting, uh, uh, you know, Nate Biddle four points on one for one shooting Bren Rigsby zero points on zero for two shooting Kwame Evans, five points in two for five shooting, right? Yeah. Like that's, you know, disappearance of the young guns. Yeah. Um, and and so like in a game in which the defense you know wasn't doing as well as maybe they should have um i still like that that was the reason why i started out asking you this you know was this a winnable game i still think they had an alternate way of winning it's not my favorite way of winning i i think you know my favorite way of winning is you you all around win you play good defense you play good offense um but there's an alternate way of winning which is oh man the defense isn't showing up time for super offense yeah Um, exactly and yeah. super offense wasn't happening in this game against Arizona because of what I just said that, you know, that the young guns weren't 
No, and you've you've seen it happen. I mean, them. like they combined for like you know five guys combined for fifteen points. Yeah, and you, you you've seen it. You've seen them be able to pull out games like that against Arizona, where they they weren't playing super defense, but the offense was efficient enough to pull it out. The ones that I mean particularly stand out to me are like twenty fourteen and twenty eighteen. Yes. I believe both times yeah. both times. Oregon was, you know, the underdog. They were facing a, a more high-powered Arizona team, but the offense just showed up so much that it was enough to put. You them mean the the 2017-2018 season? Um, yeah, uh, because in in 2017 that was just a, that was just a back yeah. whipping. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm referring yeah. more to yeah, like the 20 the 2014 season and the in the 28 and and in yeah, yeah, the, that that was yeah. the January 2018 mm-hmm. game that you're referring yeah. To. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and um, and the, but those just stick out to me as games where it was like Oregon did not shut down Arizona defensively at all, but their offense was just on enough that it was able to carry them to victory. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Um, When we come back, we'll sort of project a bit forward for the rest of the men's basketball season. So in between these games, you wrote an opinion article, uh, sort of uh, the title of it was a wake up call. Um, uh, That was about, you know, the losses uh, to the mountain schools yeah, and, you know, sort of looking forward. Um, and you know, you, you projected a couple of different things. You talked about, uh, uh, you know, the conditioning of in folly Dante, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, a thing to watch. Uh, and you talked about, uh, the, you know, the, the, the play of the guards, you know, Cousinard and, and Shellstad. Yeah. Um, all of which I, you know, I totally agreed with. Um, so the first game that they had played, uh, you know, coming out of the mountain and Arizona swings, uh, was against USC, which we just watched tonight. Now, bad, Badwater is going to cover that game. I'm going to talk about it with Badwater next time he's on the podcast. I don't really want to talk about, you know, the USC game exactly but yeah. I, I i did sort of want to register like i i think you're right i think that sort of formulation about you know the the key is going to be the center you know the the bigs and the guards mm-hmm. because you know number one the bigs dante was playing I, I I thought he played an excellent game, you know, yeah. uh, against USC, but they didn't have Biddle because he was out sick. You know, I, I guess he had a cold or something. Um, Maybe. We're, we're not sure. I mean, we thought Will Richardson had a cold a couple years ago and turned out he had mono. So we uh, never know. <laughs> but it's like, you know, Dante's stat line is not like super dominant in this game, but like, I don't know. I watched the whole thing and he was like, he was the most dominant player on the court. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, and I think that he is pretty close to, to like his conditioning. Is now now he's starting to be more like the Dante we saw. He's yeah. He's really starting to look just like physically like you could see in those first couple games when he was back that he was like weak as a kitten. Oh, yeah. You know, like it was easy to trap him. He was on the floor, but it wasn't the same same guy. He wasn't able to like put his back to the basket and just like. Yeah. Yeah. And like now. Yeah. I mean, he's getting blocks. You know, he's just muscling dudes out of the way. And yeah. Just like, yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's he's back to being the the inside presence that he was, particularly last year when it was looking like he might, you know, jump ship for the NBA. Fortunately enough, right. he came back, you know, one more time, and we have him one more time. And that's like I said, it's 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 good timing. Um, I don't know what it is about Altman teams, but it always seems like in February they really start to kind of piece things together and figure I'm, things out. I'm, I know what it is. It's him aligning Rubik's cubes. Yeah, well, um, yeah. That's a, they they buy into what he's what he's doing, and he, he tends tends to figure it out then, which which bodes well for them uh, moving forward in the season. Because like we were kind of alluding to um, a little earlier, uh, some of their biggest tests 
Um, you know, most most of their biggest tests at this point are out of the way. Um, you had uh, the you know the the trip to Pullman, which now all of a sudden looks kind of like, oh wow, that was a big win. It was a bigger win yeah. than we realized with how Washington State is playing. So fortunately, we got you know we got that one. Um, Utah and Colorado still playing very well. Um, you know, you have, you know, the losses to them up in the altitude in the mountains, understandable. And then Arizona, obviously, you know, is, is always going to be Arizona and it's, it's, it's frustrating that they couldn't take care of business, you know, at home in front of like a, you know, finally a sellout crowd. I'm, I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'll probably complain about that a little later. Mm-hmm. Finally, a sellout crowd, um, you know, and it's, and, and you had the, the perfect opportunity to really kind of cement yourself as the top team didn't really go down that way um but there's like i said there's a lot the the good thing is is you got a a big chunk of your your biggest tests out of the way and now i think moving forward uh the the biggest tests that they're going to have in the second half of the season interestingly enough are the final three games um because those are going to be against arizona colorado and utah who are like the other, you know, the other teams kind of jockeying around for position at the top of the yeah. 12. But, uh, you know, fortunately they get to mountain schools at home, you know, yeah. pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty good opportunity to take revenge on those schools. They do have to go to the McHale center, which is right. not an easy task. That's, that's one of the better home court advantages in college basketball, but it's also not impossible. We've seen Oregon yeah. pull out a, a fair number of wins down there. Uh, and, and the fact that it's in March, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, but it's like, I, like I said, the, the good thing is, is we had a rough patch, you know, came out of it with, with a few losses, some bumps in the road, but we're still sitting there with like more than more than ample opportunity to take control of this conference. Well, the thing that I, you know, what was really encouraging me about tonight's performance. And again, I, I don't want to dwell, you know, exactly on the USC game itself, because like I said, we're going to talk about it with bad water when, when he's on the podcast next, but that like, look, man, this was a game in which like, you know, you know, Cousinard and Tracy had sort of gross games. You know, mm-hmm. they, they wound up putting up like 11 points each because it, Tr- Tracy cut, hit a couple of three pointers and Cousinard kept going to the three point or excuse me, the uh, the the free throw line. Um, and, and so they sort of like they backdoored it. Um, but like their shooting from the floor was not great. Um, but the guy who carried the team like you know other than dante you know the other guy that we talked about the, the but who you in your article predicted would be super essential was their guard play specifically jackson shellstad yeah i absolutely kicked ass against usc and that was the thing that i was super worried about about these mountain schools because like we had i mean like on the site we had written about like Jackson Shellstad is the next like like uh you know generational point guard and I was worried that we had Sports Illustrated cursed him because like as soon as, as we published <laughs> that article he then went through like a four game freshman wall and I was like oh no yeah done but then he comes out and kicks ass in this game yeah and I'm well, like as as the point guard goes so the team will go um, you see that a lot, and that's why I'm obviously anyone that's read my articles or listened to the podcast knows I was high on this kid before he even came to Oregon. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was always shut up about him. Yeah, nobody could get me to shut up about him. But uh, I mean, the reasoning for that is because, like I said, so so the floor general goes, so the team goes. And when uh, yeah. you know, w- when we were having those years with Pritchard. Um, it was a great thing to see. And then I remember, you know, and like shortly after that, I was kind of saying, okay, well, Richardson needs to be that guy now. He's he's played with Peyton. He's, you know, been alongside and played in the NCAA tournament, et cetera. He needs to become that guy. He never was able to kind of like get over the hump and become that guy as the floor general, like we'd hoped. Uh, not that he didn't have a productive career at Oregon, but just wasn't able to kind of like really take over that floor general leader kind of thing. 
Whereas Shellstad, in you know, in his early early time here, really seems to be shining in that. I mean, I know that it seemed like he hit a little wall there. Um, we were hoping that you know we'd we'd see another flash of brilliance out of him, and we did uh, against USC. And so that's you know that's kind of like 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 what I'm I'm, I'm looking at because you know when you look at the Ducks. You look at probably first and foremost Nefali Dante. He's you know kind of like the star player of the team. He's the most recognizable. He's our big. He's our you know man in the middle who you know blocks shots, rebounds, gets inside baskets. But really, the flow, the ebb and flow of the game is based on uh, is based more on guard play. Uh, just because of the way basketball is played nowadays, it's not as much of a big man's game as it used to be. Um, you know, it's a little more so in college basketball than it is in the NBA, but still it's, it's, it's evolved. And so guard play, particularly that point man, you know, that, that, that one play, that's where you're really going to see kind of like how the, how the, how the tempo of the game is controlled, how the ebb and flow of the game goes. And, uh, that's, that's what I think you're seeing. And so I I don't want to go quite as far as to just say like, so as Shellstad goes, so the Ducks go. But it's hard to look at any games where he's played very well, like where he's he's had like more of an exceptional game, and they haven't had success because of that. I mean, uh, I, I I would attribute it almost entirely to it. Like, I mean, once I mean, assuming. Uh, after the Dante bar has been cleared, the next bar to be cleared is Shellstat having his game back. Um, and then the final bar to be cleared is just the rest of the team. So by that, I mean, Biddle is back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Evans is you know it get, breaks through the wall the same way that Shellstad broke through the wall yeah um and which, that their, is, their bench not, performers not, are yeah it's not impossible to think that he might not too just given how that's good true coach, how uh, good of a coach he I mean, is and how we've seen evans show some flashes of like hey okay i, I thought is, he i thought he played well against usc we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on it but like and then the last thing is sort of consistency out of the bench, you know, like, yeah. you know between Rigsby. You well, know, Rigsby, that- Rigsby, it, it, it's not even a choice anymore with with Bartholomew out now. Rigsby, right, exactly. Rigsby has got to step it up. Um, but I know- like with Biddle back in, if when Biddle comes back in, he pushes. A quendo to the bench, right? Like the, the the preferred. Do you agree with this assessment that the preferred starting lineup is Biddle, Dante, Shellstat, Kuznard, Tracy? Oh yeah, yeah. I like yeah. I like the the starting the twin towers. I've so, always I've always thought that was a, that was a good move by Altman to utilize that. So when I say consistency out of the bench producers, what I am talking about is. I want between nine and 12 points a piece out of uh, a Quendo, Rigsby, and Evans every night. Yeah, which, and, and here's the thing. Is that an unreasonable goal? Like, is oh, that absolutely a- it's not unreasonable because that's what you had seen the last couple games from Bartholomew. And, um, right with as, Bartholomew as out, of, right? Of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, in a, in know, a world as, in which Bartholomew's out, yeah. A, a t- as tenacious of, of a player as Bartholomew is, Rigsby is more athletic than Bartholomew is. And so there's really he certainly this, has better hops. Like, yeah. I don't understand where his hops, he's got like springs <laughs> in his calves. But he's just, yeah. I mean, this is, this is so he, he actually has the athleticism advantage. And it's just it's like you've you've seen it in a few games when when Rigsby is able to take advantage of that athleticism, and then he's you know he's 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 got to turn his white boy on. <laughs> he's 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 got to he's got to hit those perimeter shots, you know, because a lot of them. Dude, he was so bad from the perimeter. Yeah, they're tonight. they're not like, they're not contested shots. He's just missing them. I yeah, he's so bad. I don't <laughs> so, like I I don't know if he just gets in his head or what, but yeah. Yeah, it was still crazy because against Wazoo, 
in Pullman, which is like the eeriest place in the Pac-12. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, as Tristan says, you might as well be on the moon in that place. Like, he couldn't miss a shot. Which, I mean, he you was know, just... Th- thank God that's when he had that breakout game. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know? But, I mean, ever since he left Pullman, it, it was like, yeah, I mean... He's been trash ever since he left. Like whatever he came into that let him do that in Pullman, he left it in Pullman. Like, yeah. I don't get it, man. Very confusing too, because and it's you know, not he, athleticism because he's still been producing the same like sort of consistency in terms of like assists, athleticism. He still like jumps oh, yeah right in the yeah. air. You, which see, I don't you, see him, you see him blocking shots of these guys that are like twice his size. I know it's, it's crazy. He still got the athleticism. This is something in his head about the the shooting. Yeah, he I has know, to man. get that shooting touchdown. I mean, I totally saw it tonight. Where like you could tell he knew like i'm not gonna make the shot i need to pass it like you could mm-hmm. see him thinking about it and being yeah. like no nah, i better not and that's and that's that's not what we need from him you know what i mean yeah. what, we, what we what we need from him the athleticism and the hops is is an added plus what we need from him is a little bit of casey benson you know yeah we need just like this he reliable needs- two guard that can sit out there in the perimeter and when these open shots are created, which they will be created, especially now that we I mean, have yeah, that was the thing is that they were the the shot was there, yeah. And and the thing was, I mean, the thing that was crazy was that like his lack of confidence tonight was not unwarranted. No, like it stems from yeah, stems you know, Brennan, don't make that, thing. don't don't try that shot. You're not going to make it. Yeah. So I mean, literally, I don't know. Maybe it, it maybe it worked a little bit with Graves when I went on there and you know everything. So, but I'm 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 definitely yeah. You, you need to write an article. About yeah, I need to write a late can't make about a three pointer. <laughs> but yeah. I'm no on this podcast. I'm, 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 I'm saying it loud and clear. Right. I'm saying Riggs, Rigsby needs to yeah. step it up. Rigsby yeah. No, that's what I'll tweet out. Like uh, yeah. Brent, Brent, <laughs> you know, I'll 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 tag his mom on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> But no, with with Bartholomew out, he needs to absolutely step it up. So if we if we see some better play out of him, if we see more consistent play out of him, I think that's really going to bolster that second unit. All right, let's wrap it up there. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Oh well, uh, just thank God the sun's back out and it's February and we're uh, still in the midst of hoop season. Uh, Should be a fun finish. Just stay tuned. Uh, yeah, well, uh, tomorrow is, uh, w- when this podcast goes up, it'll be Groundhog Day. I-, I hope that everybody just encounters it once this year and it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>